Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Nā mihi nui. I'm Alison Balance and welcome to this Our Changing World podcast from RNZ. If you know anything about birds, you might have picked that that was a female North Island brown kiwi. But what would it take to enable a computer to recognise that? Mathematician Stephen Marsland from Victoria University of Wellington has been trying to make that happen. I have come to find you in your office at Victoria University, Stephen, and we're going to talk about sound, but there's a sound that we might need to explain that people will hear, which sounds like a ghost. So the sound of the ghosts is a constant of my life in this office and occasionally as I play back birds they're accompanied by the sound of ghosts on a regular basis. Which is of course the sound of wind, there we go, the sound of wind howling around your (laughs) window. It's sometimes good to remember you're in Wellington. So we will come back to the issue of wind but can you tell me what do you do? So over the past few years myself and a whole group of people from mathematicians, statisticians and ecologists have been interested in the question of can we actually recognise the sound of birds and other species, but mostly birds in New Zealand, in the forest and turn it into estimates of the abundance of how many birds there are? First of all, to get that knowledge which is useful, and secondly, to see how it changes over time, so that as we do things such as look after the bush more, take predators and try and persuade them that they shouldn't be here, that we can actually see the positive effects of that, not just the dead bodies in traps, but the fact that the birds are coming back. So how did this project kick off? I had a PhD student who came along and said she was interested in looking at speech. I didn't know anything about speech, but I was always keen on doing something in conservation with birds. So we looked for somebody who would help us, an ecologist, and we found Isabel Castro at Massey, and the project grew from there. We'll come back to Stephen in a minute. But now, let's hear from Massey University ecologist Isabel Castro. I catch up with Isabel who's most well-known these days for her work with Kiwi via Skype. I was very interested in looking at sound, and bird sound in particular. So I was interested mostly on on other species, not on on Kiwi at the time. I was thinking about hihi and keke and other passerine species in New Zealand because they are really interesting. And I I wanted to do some studies of these sounds, and I, I went looking for programs that allow me to do some analysis and found that actually there were not very good programs out there. And I was really surprised about that because I thought, you know, uh, the computer science is so developed, you know, there should be some way to do this. And people always tell you things that are more evolved than they really are. So I, that's what I expected. So what were the specific questions you had at the beginning that you wanted to do involving sound? What were you asking Initially, I was very interested in knowing, for example, in case of hihi, I was very keen to learn about the variations between the males and how males were learning their song. 
because even though he he have very simple calls, their calls are very, very different between the males. And that is similar to what's happening with Kiwi. So when you look at he he, you see that they have very simple syllables, uh, but there are many, many, many syllables. And each of the males, and even within the same male, has a lot of variation on that uh, syllable. So it is a very simple, if you wish, but very interesting situation. It's the same thing with male Kiwi. They have syllables that they repeat, but the, the differences within the, the one call of the same male can be very, very different. And that the, the female might listen to that and, and get a very, very different image of that male, depending how many of those combinations he uses or depending how many types of different syllables he's using, etc. So it's like our words. I mean, we have lots of different words and we can combine them in many ways. And depending how we combine them, other individuals of the human species can think of us or can receive a message or the message can be said. So that is my interest still today. That is my interest. So you were wanting to be able to come up with almost that signature so that you could recognise each individual animal and see how different they were from each other. So was it about recognising individuals? It was a lot about recognising individuals and how and looking at how that difference between individuals might put that individual in a better position than other. Now, back to Stephen. And, by the way, there are images online of what the sounds we are talking about look like. Check them out at rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld. We've worked on this for... I guess about six years now, and it's still going. It's the most exciting projects I've done in terms of getting out there in the bush. A mathematician that gets to do field work is a, a rare beast. Did you think you'd still be working away at it six years later, though? No. <laughs> like all these projects, it grows as much as you can allow it to. It's enabled me to go and discover much more about the bush and how hard the real world is. As a mathematician, the main noise I had to deal with was the sound of my office windows. Since then, actually having to realise that there's lots of noise and things that corrupt sound and make it much harder. The real world is far harder than mathematicians believe. Of course, you live in a perfect world. Now, Isabel, I associate with kiwis, so was that the first bird you set out to try and do something with? Yep, so we've done lots of work with kiwi, different species of kiwi, in fact, as well. We've looked at ruru We've kind of done things either because they become interesting or important to us, because they're interesting sounds, or as they become more important for New Zealand conservation, we might pick them up. So when you set out on this project trying to go, can we estimate bird abundance, what did you do? We started by saying, what do people do now? And we saw lots of things looking at acoustics, which was where I was really wanting to focus this, because I had the some of my mathematics was about describing shape and shape change. So I figured if we could look at the shapes of curves, which is actually a slightly complicated thing I might come back to, I figured if we looked at that, we might be able to recognise the different species and transform some of my actual maths into something that would be truly useful, which is a nice dream of mathematicians and one that six years later we're still working on. <laughs> so some of this involves basically visualising the sounds. Yeah, so in fact... Ecologists have visualised sound for a very long time. They turn it into what's called a spectrogram, which is a plot of... You kind of have time on one axis, so normal thing you see is time, and then frequencies, so from down to very low frequency, up to the top, usually the top level of human hearing at about 20 kilohertz, is the top of what you might see. And then the plot shows how much energy in either black or white. So let's say black. So the top energy is in black, and the no energy, the silence, is in white. 
and that's a picture that you can look at. And actually then people recognise the sounds of the birds by just looking at the picture. And the great thing about that is it's much, much faster. If you're going to listen to something, you either listen to it in real time or maybe you speed it up by possibly half time again. But you can't really do it much faster than that. And lots of the time in the field, there's nothing, no birds calling. You've still got to sit there and listen through the whole thing, whereas you can look at it very quickly and see whether there's at least anything interesting that you should listen to. Or often you just look at it and think, oh yeah, I recognise that bird from the shape that it's making. So there's a bit of pattern recognition going on. Yep. In fact, some of the methods that we use in our software is to do with machine learning now. We actually treat the, the spectrogram as an image. Now there's lots of reasons why that shouldn't work, but in fact it does seem to work quite well. The machine learning things are kind of designed to look for the objects that we, we're used to recognising as people with our eyes. And the objects that we're looking at in a spectrogram aren't the same as that. But somehow the same kind of methods seem to work and give us one of the tools that's useful for actually recognising some of these calls. Can you show me a spectrogram of something? Yep, so a kiwi duet. So this is a pair of kiwi. First of all, the male calling and then the female calling afterwards. So what we can see in white here is where the energy is and then in grey we can see all the noise of the background. Mm. So So what we're looking at is what, if you didn't know what that was, it might look like a track of footprints walking across a sand dune or something. Yeah, that would be quite a nice description of it. They look a bit like Head, the tennis racket company, that kind of inverted shape. And what, what that's showing is the sound is going, getting higher pitched and then dropping down again. And I could play you... So you've got two tracks going there, and as you said, one's the male, one's the female, so the male of a, of a kiwi has a higher call, doesn't it? Yeah, he? so you can hear him, you can see him in here, he's calling reasonably high, and it's just following across the screen in a series of whoop, 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 whoop sounds. And then she comes in, and the female kiwi... Beautiful bird, but her call is perhaps not quite so beautiful. And you can see she's got a really throaty growl on. So this is... That's the sound of the rain. So this so, but there's those parallel tracks, so there's two so, frequencies involved. So there's two... This is actually harmonic. It's The bird is making one sound, and the way the... Bird syrinx, its organ for making sound works, kind of harmonises with itself. So that's what we're seeing there. So this is all the male still calling. He's obviously got a lot to say. And now the female is just about to come in. Actually, for a female kiwi, she's reasonably nice sounding. (laughs) What species of kiwi? This is North Island brown kiwi. And in fact, in the background, you can just hear a mopark then ah. trilling as well. And, and so. you mentioned at the beginning that there's rain. Yes. So this is really the key to everything that makes our life hard here, is often people think they want to produce something that's a bit like Shazam, the software for recognising music, where it's the same every time and people are able to get their cell phone really close to things and it's clear. That's actually a really good quality recording, of what we do. So that's from an automated recorder just stuck out in the forest? That's just an automated recorder stuck out in the forest and we've isolated that piece. I mean, here is a more typical piece. A so male... you're playing me something called Fjordland Rain. Yep. So it's, a, again, a male kiwi calling quite a long way off. Oh, 
Well, he's there, but you can hardly hear him. You can hardly hear him, and you can just hear that continuous rain all the way through this. If we look at the spectrogram, we can see these lines of white all the way through it. So those are actually the signs of the rain falling all the way through this. And I think possibly the female one might be even clearer for that. And again, she is there, I promise you. You can almost see her and you can sign her. just about hear her over the ghost of the howling wind. The ghost doesn't help. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, the difference between the first call I played you, which is the Kiwi are probably maybe 150 to 100 metres away from the microphone, and this one where they may be more like three or 400 metres away, add some rain, make it in fjordland with lots of nice topography. And we still want to detect that these birds are there. So it's a much harder challenge than... So how do you do that mathematically? I'm thinking if I was an observer sitting in the forest, you know, I sit in one place and I hear a bird off to my left calling quite loudly and then I hear another one far off to my right calling quietly that I can just make out. So I know that those are two different birds because I can hear that they're in different directions. We do lots of things, some of which work now and some of which are very much work in progress. <laughs> there's a statistical method for doing these things, which was... There's actually there's several statistical methods. The one we use is called spatial capture recapture. And this was originally designed for camera traps and things where you could recognise individuals of an animal. And if you saw it on one camera and then it appeared on another camera, you'd know it, and, but you recognise the same animal, you'd know something about how far it was travelling. With acoustic recorders, and this is actually something that people in New Zealand developed a lot, you can say, well, if we heard this on several recorders that are spread out at the same time, we kind of know where this bird was, a bit more localised than just we heard it on one recorder. So that gives you a way to start estimating, well, that's possibly where that bird was, and then there was another one that called that was heard on different recorders. So So you're triangulating. In that case, you're not really triangulating. You're just saying it's probably in about this location and therefore it's different to the one that these ones heard. We are actually working on... Triangulation. We have some little video conference microphones, really, so collections of microphones in a little box, and with those we can triangulate. We can estimate, use the time of flight of when the sound arrives at the different microphones to say which direction it should have come from. And from then, if we have two of these video conference microphones, we can triangulate between those two to say, well, the bird should be actually there. We had one round of working on this and we've now got another round of finding students to continue to do this work and we started to use it last year in the room attackers to actually find kiwi burrows because if you don't have a transmitter on a kiwi finding where they are is quite problematic generally you would do it by going out at night using whistles and hoping to bring them into you or by going out with a dog and hoping to find the bird if you want to do this in the breeding season then it's quite a no-no because you're not doing the bird any favours and certainly the chance of the um, egg hatching any favours by doing that. So what we realised was actually when the male comes out from his burrow, he will often call, probably to tell the female that he's out and about, and he'll do that very close to his burrow. So we figured if we can actually work out where that is, then we'll be able to actually then know a reasonably good location for where the burrow is, and then you walk around at night and do the same. So with Susan Ellis and another of the volunteers at the Rimataka Conservation Trust, we actually did that for a couple of Kiwi last year and found out where their burrows were, just using the fact that the males call close by. Fantastic. Now, speaking of night noises, I can now sneak a peek at your computer and see that you've got some other night birds that I hadn't thought of. So 
we did mention Ruru before. So yeah, this is a. Oh, really that's quite nice a different looking spectrogram yeah. than the Kiwi. This is a very nice Ruru call. We've got two calls going on here. The first one that you'll hear, which is very low, is just the Morpork sound. So just the standard sound of the Ruru telling us that it's off and out. What you're then going to see is a sound that we call a trill. Now, this is kind of hated by people who are just learning how to recognise Kiwi calls. Generally, people hear this and decide it's going to be Kiwi on a fairly regular basis. And what I think you're seeing that you're particularly um, looking at is we're not just seeing the one call of the trill. We're seeing a whole host of about six or seven stacked up on top of each other. And that's these things called harmonics. It's the fact that... And we do it with our voices as well. When you vibrate one vocal cord, others that are in actual mathematical harmony with that one will vibrate as well, and that's what gives us that kind of stacked layers. And the same thing happens in the syrinx of the bird. As one frequency vibrates, the ones that are in harmony with that will also do that. So those are called harmonics. So I could just play you the, the first piece of this, and you'll hear how close this ruru is to the recorder. So that's the Morpork and now the trill. And because we have two Ruru here, we'll also get both simultaneously here. So, so oh, that's, now that's tricky when you've got calls on top of each other like that. That also makes our life even more fun. <laughs> so often they'll be reasonably distinguished between the two and you know one if we're lucky, will be quite a low-pitched thing, but you can hear those too. They're both in the same kind of frequency range. Yeah, so an observer in the forest might be thoroughly confused at this point in time as to whether they have a kiwi or a ruru, whereas you, looking at your spectrogram, and go, well, it's clearly a ruru. There's yeah. nothing about this that looks like a kiwi call. Again, it's practice. The more you see of them, the, the easier it gets and the more fun it gets to kind of look and think, OK, well, we've got two things at the same time now here. How do we actually separate those out and see if we can do the recognition? And I must say... We're not yet successful at doing that. It's a surprisingly hard problem. In fact, if you look at signal processing and mathematical machine learning things, it has a few names. Sometimes it's called the blind source separation problem, which is boring. A better name is the cocktail party problem. So you're at a party with lots of different sounds around, and somehow you're able to differentiate different people's voices and other sounds and tune into the one that you want to focus on and not the others. Teaching computers to do that seems to be harder than doing it ourselves with our two ears. Well, it's hard also for people with hearing aids. Yes. I guess lots of what we do is we're able to focus. We're able to pick on the thing that we decide is important. The other thing is we know what it's meant to sound like. We're, kind of, we're good at recognising other people's voices fairly well, so you can tune into the one that sounds like you're expecting. And for the machine, we have to teach it, teach it what it should be expecting to hear and then how to separate that from the other pieces. So how do you teach a machine to recognise something? What's it actually looking for? What it's looking for is honestly a mystery. We have a variety of methods that we use. So one thing we look for is actually literally these shapes. We show it examples of the shapes and we've had human labelling partly by ourselves and partly by people who are interested in different species and they've come along, used our software and marked for us these are the calls of this. So that's... By far the easiest way for us to do it is we look and say, right, we've got all these labels, they're good, and now we can use machine learning methods that will hopefully pick out the useful things within that. The challenge is, how do you describe them 
consistently to the machine and particularly how do you do it when sometimes there's lots of wind and rain and streams and other birds and dogs and cars and aeroplanes and so on and how do you do it when you're very close i mean like that rural i just played you it's a nice call for humans to recognize it's actually not the most useful one for a machine because you very rarely get one that's that good when you're actually using it in the field so we use a collection of techniques that try and remove the amount of noise in the recording that produce a mathematical description of it. And we also use the machine learning methods that kind of just do the brute force approach of here's all my human labels that somebody's done. Somehow by magic, I'm going to work out what's the important signal in there and what's not. You mentioned curves at the beginning. So, again, it's if you look at these spectrograms, you can see that they are shapes. You can see the this rural trill kind of, it's got this increase, and then it just vibrates up and down. So, mathematically, we could describe that as a curve. And once we've got a representation of a curve, mathematicians are quite good at saying, well, how, what happens as this curve changes? How do we change one curve to another? And you can think of this like a piece of elastic. Take our elastic band in one shape and then say, well, we need to stretch it and bend it to make it look like another one. So how much energy does it take to deform one of these to make it look like the other? And my idea was, well, first, if they're very similar to each other, it shouldn't take too much energy. And secondly, if they're a long way apart, it should take lots more. So that gives us a kind of distance between them. And then we could ask people to get to label a few and say, well, if all these are similar, they should have low distance, and these ones will give a big distance to those examples. Now we take our next species, so we take our kiwi calls, and say, is it low distance to those? And if it's still a long way away from those ones, we take our next species and do the same thing. So we'd find the examples that it was similar to in this curve metric and say, pick the one where it takes the least energy to make it look exactly like the one you've got. And by doing the curve, the hope is, this is still not quite as successful yet as we're hoping, but we're hoping that we'll actually be able to get rid of a lot of that noise effect because the noise doesn't actually affect the shape quite as much. It affects the texture of the spectrograms. You see this kind of grey speckle. So if we can pick out the pieces that are important, then maybe that will actually give us a way to use those metrics. We're doing the same thing to ask about individual recognition of Keeley. Actually, one of the challenges here was the ground truth. If you've got, let's say, somewhere interesting, 200 kiwi in the forest, how do you know which one's calling? So there was a group that looked at this with great spotted kiwi. They had a small number, I think six or eight, and they were able, by human, they think, to recognise the individuals. So they put some labels on that said, this is this one calling and this is a different one. And if they were correct, they then said, well, can we now differentiate between them? We realised that actually, because we have this transmitter on a kiwi, the radio transmitter, if we could put a microphone in there, we'd be able to record that Kiwi. So it would be like cold. it was holding its own microphone like for you. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, he's walking around with the transmitter on, and inside there we have a little microphone. It's quite interesting, because Kiwi call, they project forwards, and we're putting this on their leg, which is behind where they're calling, so it's not absolutely perfect recording, but it's really quite good. The challenge we had was getting the weight because the transmitter on a Kiwi is quite close to the maximum weight they're allowed to carry. So we had to find one that was small enough. Spies are interested in these things, and getting universities to buy spy equipment for conservation projects 
was an interesting challenge, but a fun one. <laughs> but so you obviously managed to find something that was small enough so you could add it to that transmitter package without That's right. weighing the pool bird down. To yeah, so another two grams was added to it and then packaged up. And we had some rather ugly but very effective transmitters that we put on the birds. And here's a recording of a male kiwi. Oh, and I just have that. to say, visually, this looks quite different again. So it's exactly the same call. Um, it's just that you're seeing so much of all the information in there. So last time we saw this kind of shape of it, like a head tennis racket shape, sort of up and then down. What you can see here is much more of the trill. And this is the interesting thing, is the male kiwi, and I'll play it in a second, but you can kind of hear that he ramps up for a while to get started. And then all those sequins, we presume he's saying something. We don't know what yet, mm. but hopefully we'll get there as we start to understand these. So you can hear how he's really producing quite a long trill in those last ones. Apologies for the clicks. He was so close and so loud that he actually blew the microphone out. It's even more obvious if we move to the female. She's really blowing the sound of the microphone out, but you can also hear how spectacular her sound is. Now, she's almost got solid columns of sound going there. She's managing to hit an incredible number of frequencies. She's hitting, she? yeah, so the vibrations are at about one kilohertz, so really quite low. And then they're coming in at about three, three and a bit kilohertz through here as well as another layer of that same thing, and again at about maybe four and a half. But in between that, just because she's pumping out so much energy, there's also all sorts of other bits of noise that are coming along for the ride. So you've got these lovely recordings of individual birds. Can your program actually then recognise any individual birds yet? So we don't know yet. Alberto and another of my students are desperately looking at these to work out what we can extract from it and to see whether we can pick out the individuals. So this is it's really new and it's really exciting, um, but I'm possibly jumping the gun in showing you if we can't find anything from it. <laughs> Now let's just jump back to your menu of sounds there and I see you have a kakapo boom and a kakapo ching and the reason I want to jump to those is because having spent time on Whenuaho Codfish Island making stories about kakapo, I know that male kakapo in particular do actually sound very different from each other. Yep, so partly it's to ask that question about the individuals. It's also to try and say what in the sound is causing the females to actually choose this male because it very much appears that she's making choices and presumably she's doing that purely from the sound so is it possible to work that out now we also love to do things with low frequency sounds because they're particularly challenging and particularly interesting from the viewpoint of the mathematical descriptions but here i'm not sure how all this will come out but we'll play and see whether the boom is picked up Sounds just like a bottle top blowing over a bottle top to me. So. Yeah, so there's a deep thudding going on there. Yeah. So you said these are challenging because they're very low frequency. Mm -hmm. What about at the other end of the spectrum? You so know, what about really high frequency that you and I might struggle to hear? We don't have the same problem if people have used their recorders at high enough frequencies that you can actually see those things. The challenge actually is often that they're really short sounds. 
and they don't travel particularly fast. So you actually need probably a lot of recorders, and then you'll get these very high-pitched things. But because they're often quite distinct, there's not that many animals all the way up there in those high vocalisations, they're possibly easier to detect. Whereas actually just going back to the low-frequency ones, those travel quite a long way. Yep. So the difference, that's one of the reasons for the difference is... Obviously, volume changes how far things travel, but lots of these low-frequency sounds are pretty much designed to roll along the ground, and therefore they'll travel a very long way. You've got some bat noise, though, which is... Right, so yes, really, really at the high end of the spectrum. <laughs> Doc produced these acoustic recorders that will sit out in the forest and detect both, um, any sounds that are out there, and they're used partly for bats. When they're used for bats, they don't actually save the sound file because there's no point. People can't hear it. They just save the spectrogram. And actually, turned out, lots of people were saying, well, can't we hear them again? So we figured, well, actually, we can probably get that spectrogram, turn it upside down and see whether we can turn it into the thing. So this is a recording of a short-tailed bat. All the way through, you can just hear just like a directional thing. Yep. And then yeah. just quite early on, you can hear the, the pips as it starts to produce what's called a feeding buzz. Just there. Originally, the energy will be at about 44 kilohertz from memory, and we've reduced it down to, I think, about 14. So. Yeah, and I should probably say that there will be some probably older listeners who still didn't even manage to hear That's that. That's certainly possible. Yep. Just to actually complete the point, I will show you again the picture of the whole thing, because visibly, once we go up and see the whole of the picture... You can really see. So that's that clips that we were hearing of the feeding buzz coming in. It's present on this mm. spectrogram. Really short, sharp. And these lines are. Lines this is to help sound, us differentiate yeah. between um, the long tail and the short tail bats because it's where the energy appears in these things. It's All right. So which energy. one's higher? So well, here's the short tail, and there's a lot of energy down here at about 22 kilohertz, and then a reasonable amount more at about 44. Now, here's a long tail, and you can see much more energy all the way up into 44 and heading all the way higher. Okay. So this is the long-tailed bat and... So they're singing in different wave bands. They are singing, yep. Now, one of the interesting things you're doing with this is this is all open source, isn't it? That's right. So we... There were other groups who'd done, not particularly recognition things, but making sound available. In particular, the Cornell Lab of Ornithology had a soft, some software called Raven, and there was a free version of Raven, Raven Lite, imaginatively enough, but it didn't do all the things I wanted, and it was kind of hard to add things to. So I figured if I wanted people to actually use the methods we were doing, and in particular if I wanted people to give us the annotations of their interest in the species, here's the ground truth of when it's calling, we should make some software that makes it possible for them to do it. So Avians, the software, it's a research platform for us. We're continuing to develop and add all the mathematical ideas in. And then over time, as students have got involved, they've contributed to this. Now it's kind of designed by people like us who do who use it for conservation and who are kind of centred in New Zealand. So we've specialised in New Zealand sounds and New Zealand birds and made it as easy as possible for people to use. So... This is just freely available. Anyone who wants to come and contribute is more than welcome to do so. And, in fact, the more the merrier in terms of training more filters and adding things. We have facilities by which you can train a filter, upload it onto our web page, and then other people can download and use it over time. And maybe eventually one day you will manage to achieve your original goal of estimating bird abundance from automated recordings. I hope so. <laughs> and we've got a long way to go and a lot of fun to have doing it. But, yes, we're certainly aiming to get there. So how does Isabel feel about the AVN's programme and does it do what she would like it to do? 
avians at the moment allows you to visualize the sounds of different animals or any sound really that, that you, you want, but it also allows you to find and separate the sounds of individual species that you might be interested in. So we are at that level. Identifying individuals is a much harder, even though identifying a species is super hard, identifying individuals is even harder. So we are now starting to go into this side of things. So working with Stephen, you've realised why there wasn't any software out there back in 2011 or 2012 or whenever it was that actually would enable you to do this because it's a really difficult job, it turns out. Oh, it's so hard, but I didn't understand it as a biologist, you know. I really didn't. And when starting to work with him, I realised, okay, the reason why there is nothing out there is because this is a really, really, really hard question. And and it is not like people used to tell me, oh, I'm sure that the American uh, military would have done something, recognised the sounds of this, that and the other, you know, which which would be the same as looking at bird sounds. And then, of course, I realised that actually that is not the full like that. Thanks, Isabel. Isabel Castro is an animal ecologist at Massey University. Stephen Marsland is a mathematician at Victoria University of Wellington. I'm Alison Balance, and this Our Changing World podcast from RNZ first aired on the 10th of September 2020. You can listen again, find handy links to things like the AVN's website, and check out what the spectrograms, or visual representations of the bird calls, look like at our webpage, rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld. The website is also where you can sign up for our free weekly email newsletter. The subscription link is at the bottom of the webpage. That is also where the Our Changing World audio collections hang out, including our new earthquake collection going back to well before the 2010 Darfield earthquake. If you're in the market for new podcasts to listen to, check out the podcasts tab at rnz.co.nz. Might I recommend Healthy or Hoax with Stacey Morrison, in which Stacey looks at the latest food and fitness trends to discover what's good for you and what's gobbledygook. In short, do things like fermented foods or shakti mats, do they work? We are on Facebook and Twitter as RNZ Science. Many thanks for your company. Stay safe and catch you next time. Mate wa. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.